This episode of Back Talk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor Glad Rags, bringing you all of the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn more about cloth pads and menstrual cups, plus get free shipping within the USA on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com. Make sure to tell them that Backtalk sent you. Hi, welcome to Backtalk. I'm Amy Lamb, the associate editor, and uh, this week I'm excited to go to um, a big writers' conference called AWP in LA, and, the Association uh, of Writers and Publishers. Yes, and I'm super excited to like get nerdy and geek out. It's my first AWP ever, and this is the kind of conference where um, writers write guides on how to navigate it because it's so intense. <laughs> it's a giant conference, right? Like so many writers. Yeah, yeah. But it's so intense that um, we need like a sort of guidelines on how to navigate it how to do self-care while you're there i i read that there's like a, a quiet room that you can go to to decompress and like lay down and like nobody talks in this room perfect <laughs> that's what i'm excited about this week and i'm sarah merck i'm the online editor at bitch media and my favorite piece of pop culture this week was my decision to not go see um batman versus superman uh, because the reviews have been terrible and I'm in, you know, I'm into comics. I go see a lot of comic book movies and I was like, you know what? This movie looks horrendous. I'm just going to skip it. And I would like to congratulate myself on making the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> I can spend that $10 I would have spent on a movie ticket on something far more worthwhile. Um, like a piece of candy. Yeah, for sure. Actually, um, I wanted to talk about how, I I bought a record this week and I haven't bought an album in so long and I bought the um the new Zane record. Do you know Zane? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he I he used to be in One Direction, um mm-hmm. a boy band and I actually was super not into them or unaware of them but um after I learned that he's he put out a record and I saw him do one in the, like the late night shows and I was like, "Who is this guy? This is an amazing song." And then I bought it and I love it. I've been listening to it on repeat. It's so good. And there's something about him um being uh, like a Pakistani British guy uh, who's Muslim, who that makes me feel like, oh, I I need to support this like R and B pop star of color, uh, especially in such like an Islamophobic climate like we ha- that we're in culturally, and just to hear like this this pop star singing R and B love songs that are like super sexy and like like grooving, they're so good, uh, and I just love it. This is part of your self-care strategy. Yeah. You're dealing with <laughs> Donald Trump fatigue. Yeah. Like, if, if Donald Trump is on TV, you can just turn on Zane a little oh, louder. Oh, I've been listening to it, like, nonstop since I've gotten it. And, like, there's even this, like, interlude track um, where he sings in Urdu. And it's gorgeous, and it's just like, wow! Like, when else am I going to hear like a pop star have a track where they sing in Urdu? Um, it's amazing, and I really do think that people should invest in some Zayn. I, I am a, I, <laughs> I didn't know anything about Zayn until like three days ago, <laughs> and now I'm like completely full on board, president of his fan club. <laughs> All right, so each week on our show, we talk about two pop culture current event topics. Um, and the first one we want to talk about is uh, the Gian Gomeshi case. So for those of you who 
have forgotten because it's been a while. Um, in October 2014, what had happened was Gianco Meshi, who is the host and co-creator of a really popular Canadian um, radio show called Q. Uh, and actually, it's syndicated in the U.S. Like, I listen to it here in Portland. Um, he was let go from CBC. The It's kind of like the Canadian version of public broadcasting, like NPR, right? Um, so he was let go. And it was like, there was like some controversy of why he was let go. And he ended up posting this like, long explanation on his Facebook about how um, like a vindict- vindictive ex was coming after him and spreading lies and rumors and it caused him to lose his job at from the CBC. And what it, what it came out to be was that um, his employer, CBC, let him go because the Toronto Star, which is a big newspaper um, in Canada, um, had been investigating the story about um, three young women who had come forward to say that they had um, they had experienced like sexual violence with him, like non-consensual sexual violence um, while they were dating him. And they were investigating that story. So they went to his employer told him about it. And, and CBC wanted nothing to do with him. So they let him go. And in fact, um, Gianco Meshi ended up suing CBC for like um, like unfair uh, firing or whatever for like $50 million. So that happened in October 2014. Yeah. So his case against his former employer that the CBC was withdrawn in 2014. So he was suing them for $55 million, but it didn't go anywhere. So he withdrew it. And that was like the last piece of news on this trial about almost two years ago. Right. And so um, in February, the trial went through and the trial was kind of salacious. Um, and there were some bombshells that happened that we'll talk about in a second. But within the trial, um, there are three people, three women who came forward. One of them was Lucy Descouter, who's an actor. And then the other two women decided to stay private. Um, and just last week, the judge in that case um, ruled in Giango Meshi's favor. And in the ruling, it's just really disheartening because... The case is examining um, what had happened to these women 10, sometimes more than 10 years ago. In Lucy de, de Couture's case, it was 2002, 2003 when this ha- when um, she suffered like violence at the hands of Gomeshi while they were in like a dating relationship. And so it's hard to keep like like your story and your evidence and all your witnesses for an entire decade. Right. And, That's and a she, tall order. Yeah. And there's, there's a reason she didn't report at that time. So, you know, like there, there is no perfect. So, sorry. So what had happened with the, the judge ruled against, ruled in favor of Gian Gomeshi and in ruling against, ruling in favor of Gian Gomeshi, he said some like really problematic things about um, the women who were on the stand. Like what? Like he said that they were... <laughs> deceptive and manipulative whoa in in how they in like their chart how they presented their chart their charges and um and that their testimonies were quote tainted by outright deception um he said that the harsh reality is that once a witness has been shown to be deceptive and manipulative in giving their evidence that witness can no longer expect the court to consider them to be trusted source of the truth yikes yeah so the, the issue here is that like we have these expectations of what um, survivors should, how, how they should behave. And um, and what what came out in the case was that um, in Lucy de Couture's case, they were able to pull up emails that she had written him like after the uh, alleged assault had happened, where, you know, she says she wanted to see him again, wanted to sleep with him again. And like, n- like nice notes about like something about how she liked his hand or something. And this was used as evidence to say like, well, if he abused you so terribly, um, why did you 
continued to engage him. And it had, and the same thing occurred with the other two um, people who came forward. Um, there was evidence that they they remained in touch with him and that they sent him, like uh, one of them sent him uh, a photo of her in a bikini like a year later. And in the judge's ruling, um, he ignores that like survivors deal with their assaults in in a vast, like vastly different ways. There is no one perfect way. And so he, like his framing of um, his ruling is that like there is like a perfect victim narrative and these women's narratives and how they dealt with their assaults do not fit within this perfect victim narrative. Yeah, this is an issue all the time with sexual assault and also abuse cases where because so much relies on, on the person's testimony, if their testimony deviates in any way, or if they have, you know, a normal human memory, which is full of holes, or sometimes you're like, oh, wait, actually, it happened this way. It has to be perfect. Or they're going to use that to poke holes in your story. In this case, in a, so many other sexual assault cases um, where they rely on witness testimony instead of on hard evidence, because in cases like this, it's 10 years old. Right. And this makes a connection to me because um, last winter I read a piece called The Unbelievable Story of Rape. Um, it was published in the marshallproject.org. And actually, uh, This American Life did like a, a radio version of it. Oh, yeah, I heard uh, that, that aired like mm -hmm. two or three weeks ago. So you can look it up there as well. Um, reading the piece and listening to the, to the This American Life episode, it's, it, it's so illuminating. And in this piece, it's about a young woman who um, had just graduated out of the foster care system and she's living on her own and, you know, trying to get, in, get by. And um, an intruder came in and sexually assaulted her and raped her in the middle of the night. And um, because of her behavior after the assault, uh, you know, these women who are her mentors, who were her former foster mothers, um, didn't believe her. And they planted a seed of doubt in like the law enforcement who was investigating this case. And just because of these women who, who loved her, who cared about her, didn't uh, agree with how she behaved after the assault, um, they were they effectively shut down the case. Like the, the law enforcement in the city that she reported this in said like, well, case is over. And in fact, they, they prosecuted her. They brought charges up against her and said that like she lied about an assault and wasted the police, the police department's time. Yeah. I heard that episode and it was so harrowing. I was like riveted to it the whole time because here you have this woman who's been, who's been assaulted and the police wind up investigating her for a crime while the person who raped her goes free for years. Yeah. And ends up assaulting multiple other women. Yeah. And in this, I mean, in this case, it's it's so much about that the the people who were around her saw the way that she reacted to being assaulted and thought, I think she's lying. That's not how I would react. And that was what her foster mom said and her, her family said, you know, that's not how I would react. I think if I was assaulted, I would be screaming and shouting and, and crying, whereas she like kind of shut down and got quiet and the women around her and, and the police both thought possibly she was lying because they didn't think she was acting like how they thought a victim should. Right. And that's and that's the link between these two cases with, with John Gomeshi and with this story, too, is people thinking, here's how I think a victim should act. Here's how I think their story should go. Exactly. And and in the um, This American Life episode about this woman, like they were able, they were so convinced that she was lying that they convinced her that she was lying to the point that she she took back her uh, her charge and then and then she couldn't handle it anymore she's like no actually this happened to me and then she tried to re-report and they said no you can't like we know that you're lying mm -hmm. and then she shut down yeah once her story became inconsistent in the view of the police then the, the case wasn't going anywhere like there was nothing there exactly so like in, and in this case with the Gian Gomeshi and his accusers is that 
you know, the, the judge is seeing how they behaved afterwards. And this was more than 10 years ago. So, you know, you can't really fault them for forgetting that they did these things and that they didn't bring them up to um, the prosecution. But it, but then there's also the underlying fact that like we have these notions of what a perfect victim should be like and how they should behave and how they maybe they, they should never contact their abuser ever again um, or, or ever try to make sense of their abuse by behaving in a certain way. So it's just really crushing to see that this happened with this case. And, and you know, Gian Gomeshi is, is not a nobody. Like within the Canadian radio scene and even also I think in America, like, you know, he's kind of like the, the hip indie rock, like radio personality person. And he got away with doing this for years. Um, and the the only shining light of this is that there's still one pending case that's going to be heard in June. And um, it is from a fellow CBC worker and he sexually harassed her at work. And so that case is being heard separately. Um, and in that case, like, you know, she did due diligence things where she filed like a complaint with her union and there may have been a witness to one of the um like sexual assault harassment um uh, occurrences so maybe Jiang Yamishi won't be let free completely but you know this case and how it's come out and what the judge said is just really emblematic of how um you know in this low-key way like rape culture is just perpetuated well yeah and it really makes clear uh, one reason why a lot of people wouldn't want to report a sexual assault or one big barrier to reporting rape is that you know that if you report that you're sexually assaulted and it goes through the criminal system, it goes through the courts, every single piece of your story is going to be dissected and analyzed and every single thing that you've done is going to be pulled apart and put on trial. Right. And like so, these women, they were put on trial, not Giango Meshi. Yeah. yeah. And so their their behavior is really put on trial and everything they've done is really put on trial. And that's the nature of our system right now that's how that's how the justice system works when it's when it's doing when when it's functioning normally and so you can see why a lot of people would you know decide that it's not it's not worth the trouble to report lay <sighs> so the second piece of pop culture we're talking about this week is one in a wave of so-called bathroom bills that have been passed or considered around the country these bills are really insidious, and um, here's the deal, is that a bunch of different states, including over the last year, you know, the legislatures of South Dakota, Illinois, Washington, Oklahoma, and North Carolina have all considered bills that are really transmisogynistic, that um, here's, the, here's the rallying cry of these bills, no men in women's bathrooms. So Republican and right-wing legislators in all those states have pushed these bills that say um, that the cities and counties in those states can't pass LGBT anti-discrimination measures. And specifically, um, they ban people, they ban transgender people from using the bathroom that fits their, their gender identity. And so really, these bathroom bills, the, the most recent one just passed in North Carolina and was signed into law um, last week. And the the governor of the state um, was really pushing hard for it and was happy to sign it. And it was in response to an anti-discrimination measure that the city of Charlotte, North Carolina, passed last year after a lot of thought and consideration. Um, it's clear that these bills, I mean, we should just call them what they are. They're they are a hate bill. <laughs> they're, they're really geared around the politics of fear. And I think what's most insidious about these bills, which we're seeing pop up you know, all over the country, is that what they're using is they're using this rhetoric around needing to protect women in order to repeal and attack anti-discrimination measures, 
which that's a mental leap that takes a couple leaps to go. But, you know, what, what, what the people who are backing these bills are saying is that if you allow transgender people to use the bathroom that affirms that is in that is in affirmation with their gender, they are going to rape women in the bathrooms. It's just like, what? <laughs> um, S.E. Smith, uh, who's a contributor to Bitch and a, also a great person, um, wrote a great piece in Rolling Stone summing up the reasons behind these bathroom bills. Uh, and S.E. wrote in Rolling Stone, there's a reason bathroom bills are exploding right now. It's not just about trans visibility and a growing sense of transphobia in conservative communities as they're forced to come to grips with the existence of the trans community. It's also closely associated with the 2016 presidential election, which Republicans want to maintain their stranglehold on Congress. For them, opposing trans rights dovetails neatly with the interests of the right, allowing candidates to come out swinging against civil rights to appeal to conservative voters. So what SC is really saying is that trans people are basically being used, you know, as as a political chip here uh, whose rights can be bargained away because Republicans are trying to score some political victories and scare people into coming out to the polls by saying men are going to come into women's restrooms and rape you. And that's such that that's a really horrible line. Right. And so I learned a new word while uh, I was helping <laughs> you edit some of these pieces. because We also have pieces on bitchmedia.org about this um, down ticket. To, to, to like these these measures down ticket da- uh-huh. yeah these measures um, get voters in so that they would vote down ticket so maybe like somebody who's very transphobic would go to vote against this measure and then um, while they're in the polling place they'll end up voting for a bunch of Republicans to sit in their state legislature or in other like local seats um, because you know that's that's another thing we talk about when we talk about politics is that um, local seats actually have a lot more power than we. Th- give them credit for and you need to get but they're not sexy or fun to vote for right like all of these bills are being debated and passed in state legislators by state representatives which you know is not talked about or focused on as much at all as the presidential election right so we need to like get people in how do we get people in by fear-mongering them um and telling them like you know your your wife your daughter your sister your auntie your grandma they're all going to be assaulted if you don't come out and vote for this and while you're in the polling why don't you make sure that you know your district represented by this person or that person this is really using transphobia as a political strategy to get people as as a get out the vote effort for republicans i think one of the most appalling things about this bill is that I think there's a assumption that people have that their that their laws are based on data <laughs> or science. And in this case, it's totally not. You know, people think, oh, well, they wouldn't be writing that bill or they wouldn't be voting for that if there wasn't something to back it up. And in this case, there is absolutely nothing to back it up. The the things that Republicans are are making us afraid of in their rhetoric around these bills is that transgender people are going to go into women's restrooms and assault women. And it should we should just say as many times as possible that there are zero reported cases of this ever happening anywhere in the United States. Um, many states have had uh, have been banning discrimination public accommodation since 1993. So that means um, they have written into their laws that uh, rules that allow transgender people to use the bathroom that aff- that that is an affirmation with their identity. That those states include Oregon, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa. A bunch of states have these laws, and they've been in place for you know, more than 20 years now, and there have been zero reported cases of this. The group Media Matters did an analysis of 12 states that have passed anti-discrimination measures that affirm the legal right of transgender people to use the bathroom that matches their gender in public buildings. And they found that in all of those states, in all those 12 of those states, there's never been a case where a transgender person has attacked a woman in a bathroom. 
It's just not, it's, it's totally a boogeyman. It's totally a made up thing that Republicans are just using to pass these bills that have really harmful real world effects. You know, I mean, even hearing the rhetoric around this creates a really destructive and discriminatory image of transgender women as as potential rapists that you need to be afraid of and that can't be allowed in public spaces. It's it's really horrific. And actually, I mean, the people who are suffer who are suffering real world violence here are transgender mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the, the Williams Report, which is this big institute, did this study in 2013 and they found that 70 percent of trans people have reported being denied entrance, assaulted or harassed while trying to use the restroom. And so, I mean, compare that. I mean, there's like the absence of real world violence of, of trans people attacking cis women in bathrooms and and so much evidence that trans people are actually being discriminated against and facing sometimes violent threats and attacks from people for using the bathroom that, 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 that they need to. So I think Republicans should, or I think all of our politicians should be taking on that real world violence rather than making something up. Right. And, and I just kind of can't like wrap my brain around this notion that like public restrooms are some kind of a really special place that you need like a lock and key. Like literally anybody can go into a public restroom, like regard, like regardless of what like uh, the gender marker says on the door there, it doesn't just because there's like a, it says women on the door. It doesn't really keep men out of the rest. Like men just don't go into those restrooms. just out of courtesy, right? Like, uh, like cis men just go into the one that's marked as a man's like, you don't need to like swipe a card or like a special lock and key to get in. So this notion that like um, we need legislation to block people to from getting into these doors that have no locks. Like I, I just don't understand even just like on a very base level. I think I think like, trying to make sense. <laughs> I think trying to make sense of like the nuts and bolts logistics yeah. of bills like these is is a losing game. There's no point because they're not based in reality. They're not based in what is actually happening. They're just based in hysteria. And creating a boogeyman out of out of trans people, which is even uh, more disheartening when you think that um, this mobilizes people, mm-hmm. that this is something that um, gets people to the polls, and it really does speak to how um, there are large voting blocks that are really misinformed, and um, and it's quite sad for like everybody involved, you know, especially for trans folks, but it's like. Uh, some people are just so misinformed that they think that this is something that can cause real harm to them and that they need to, you know, go out and vote against well, it. Well, I think I think it matters a lot to see somebody in position of power, like the governor of your state, saying this is a problem. We need to pass this bill that discriminates against transgender people. I mean, if you see your governor saying that and you haven't read up on it at all and you haven't read up on recent politics or culture, you might think, you know, oh, what he's saying has to have some legitimacy to it. He's the governor. He wouldn't just make stuff up. But wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think I mean it's it's sort of like um it's it's one thing for, you know, there's always gonna be, I think, transphobic bigots on the fringe of society shouting about whatever they want, but it's it's so much it's it's different and i think it's worse and more insidious when that's coming from positions of power from people who are elected into office who are writing the laws because people look to them for guidance at the end of the show we talk about one thing we've watched one thing we're reading and what we're listening to um i could kick this off to talk about 
um, something I'm watching. It is a web series called Her Story. Oh, great. I'm yes. so glad you're going to talk about this. Yeah, uh, it's so good. Um, you can watch it on YouTube or you can watch it on herstoryshow.com. And so um, this web series it's in the first season, I think there's like six, seven or eight episodes of it. And it uh, centers around two trans women, uh, Jen Richards, who's a white trans woman, and Angelica Ross, who's a black trans woman, and kind of like how they navigate their world as trans women like um getting into romantic relationships um or just uh and then also there's like the bigger story of um like where transness fits into like the white the wider um queer community uh so there's one character in the series who's super transphobic uh who's a queer woman and it's it's, it's kind of like interesting to see um like how like cis uh, queer community is like navigating it and then how like uh, their fellow cis community members are like kind of questioning like the language that's being used and t- talking about trans people so it, it's it's really fun and, and it's like where else am I going to see a series tr- star- starring two trans women um, and they and like it's well done well produced it looks great um, and I'm really excited to see another season of it so her story where's the best place to watch it you can watch it on YouTube or you can watch it on the website, herstoryshow.com. Sweet. Um, the book I'm going to recommend is because we talked so much about sexual assault on today's show, I thought the book should be a resource guide for sexual assault. And I just read a book that's an excellent resource for sexual assault um, survivors or people who are interested in, in understanding more about sexual assault. And it's called We Believe You. And it's a, it's a collection of stories from people who survived sexual assault talking about their experiences their process dealing with being assaulted, their their own backgrounds. It's just a whole collection of stories about this. And it comes out this April 12th. So it's not on shelves yet, but you can pre-order it if you want to. It's called We Believe You. And it's definitely the kind of resource guide that seems like it should be on every campus's like, like student health department. It should be on their bookshelf that people can read and be like, oh, wow. And the whole, um, and it's it's put together by, by Annie E. Clark and Andrea Pino, who um, are both organizers around sexual assault. So check it out. It's called We Believe You. You should pre-order it because it really supports the publisher and it makes and it makes the publisher know that like people want this book. Yeah. And also, yeah. I mean, just the title alone is powerful. Yeah. We Believe You. Um, all right. Last thing on the show, we're going to recommend a new song, which is I'm so excited uh, that the new album from Seattle band Taco Cat is <laughs> coming out this week. Uh, I love this band. And um, I got the chance to talk with uh, one of the band members, Emily Noakes, this week. And she said uh, if their last album was Hot Pink, this album is a little bit darker. It's a little bit Mm -hmm. sadder. Mm -hmm. It's dark purple with glitter. Oh, okay. (laughs) The um, Taco Cat is is kind of like a surf rock. I would describe them as a surf rock punk band who have a really great sense of humor. All of their lyrics are so on point and really funny. Um, This album, which comes out this week, April 1st. It's called Lost Time, which is a reference to the X-Files. The first song on the album is about Dana Scully. <laughs> That's not the song we're going to play. The song we're going to play um, is called I Hate the Weekend. And it's about being working as a bartender on Capitol Hill in Seattle and hating the weekend because all of these like tech bros come into the neighborhood and like, you know, are super loud and rowdy and vomit everywhere. So if you're a server, you might hate the weekend. So here's here's the song I Hate the Weekend from Taco Cat's album Lost Time, which comes out this week. Thanks, Thanks for listening. <laughs>
This episode of Backtalk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor, Glad Rags, bringing you all of the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn more about cloth pads and menstrual cups, plus get free shipping within the USA on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com. Make sure to tell them that Backtalk sent you. Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener-supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. <laughs>